Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. This episode contains sensitive information about topics dealing with social and ethical issues that may be difficult for some to process. Viewer discretion advice. Well, welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John. I'm a Connections Pastor here at St. Mark, and I'm joined by our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer, Sr., and this is the growth factor we are back i'm really excited about this new season as we embark on a study through the book of exodus uh, we believe that this is going to be helpful for you all in, over these next 12 sessions as we go through a theme that we're calling deep waters deliverance and duty we can't help wait to help you all work through these 40 chapters in these 12 sessions. So y'all pray for us, but we, we know it's going to be a good study for you all. So make sure you all go and share this broadcast and share this with other folks. And we're looking forward to this season of the Growth Factor podcast. Well, Pastor P, we are back and true back. to this study's name. We're diving right into some deep waters with this first lesson. No, 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 no tiptoeing around. <laughs> we not putting our toe in the water. Nope, not not <laughs> happening because we're talking about corrupt government and the Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading Washington Post the other day. I know you're a DC native, um, prominent paper, national paper, and I remember seeing their Pinocchio meter that they came out with years ago, mm-hmm. where they analyzed the lies of politicians. Well. It got so bad they had to hire an entire staff (laughs) to deal with the lies that have been happening over the past several years, and not just in the highest office, but just across the board. So those ideas of character, integrity, and government corruption being being lifted up in today's culture, the question now becomes, as Christians, how do we deal with corrupt government, especially when we're telling people, hey, y'all need to get out and go vote? Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, you know, one of the one of the biggest um, fallacies of of people who who I think have good intentions sometimes is that to be a person of faith is to be disconnected or disinterested or um, or in some way uninvolved in what's mm-hmm. happening in human government, and mm-hmm. that is not um, that's not biblical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not in any way. Uh, the call of God for our lives. We are to um, engage in um, mm-hmm. civic uh, duty uh, for those of us in this nation, for, for those of us in the U.S. That includes voting, but it's not just voting. It's advocacy. It's it's um, holding elected officials accountable beyond just the elections, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, here's the thing about government. As long as people... Fallen people are in government. Mm. We're going to have a flawed government. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 
government needs the gospel. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and so we must be engaged in in the ways that matter most, mm. um, especially when it comes to dealing with persons on the margins of society. Mm. Uh, and Exodus dri- dives right into that. Mm. The the main matter at the beginning, yeah, is corrupt government. Yeah. So as we see, this isn't the first time. No. <laughs> no. That people are dealing with corrupt government it goes all the way back to the exodus account but if we're going to be true to form to our last season when we talk to the people about context we Mm got to help them to kind of understand exodus itself as a whole as a book and then also to understand the context from which exodus springs which would be the book of genesis Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about exodus here because it is one of the primary events as you've mentioned in the uh, Old Testament, the Red Sea crossing and the Exodus account as a whole, um, which covers several chapters and not just Exodus. So that primary event has been recognized and noticed in other passages, over 120 passages in the Old Testament. So when you see that, you have to know that this is the event yeah. in the Old Testament that you really need to dive into and get deeper into. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is the establishment of a nation. It, it, it's, it's in Exodus that you go from a family yep. to a nation. Um, and you see that the Exodus experience. So the book of Exodus, let's, to be clear, the book of Exodus is not the whole story of the Exodus itself. So the Exodus as an event happens in the book of Exodus there are some narrative portions of what happened uh, further in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the primary context around Exodus, uh, the Exodus as an event, happens in the book that we call Exodus. And mm. the, the book that name just means exit or yep. going out is yep. what the name means. So yeah. uh, we see them going into Egypt mm-hmm. as friends. Uh, then dealing with oppression and un- unjust government, then God mightily, mightily delivering them out, uh, going in as friends, out as slaves, or mm-hmm. out from slavery into uh, a new life. And that is that process is what the book of Exodus describes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that, that word uh, departure, the road out, we've seen it before in our last season when we talked about the transfiguration mm-hmm. and what Moses and Elijah was talking with Jesus about. It was talking about his exodus in the Greek, which means departure. Yeah. So this particular book uh, is part of a larger set of books called the Pentateuch. We've talked about this in the last season, which are the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And those books are historically attribu- uh, attributed to Moses as the writer and the author. Um, in addition to that, you you see we have 40 chapters, but the division, at least the larger division, is geographically, when you think about where the people are, mm-hmm. you're going to see the first 19 chapters are going to be Egypt and Sinai, mm-hmm. and then the latter portion of it, 20 through 40, are going to cover God's law and God's community as they are gathering around Sinai. Yeah. So that larger portion is going to be the law and then the people as community. So we kind of shape these lessons around their departure and then their time in the wilderness and then their time around God's long and covenant community. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to see through this book as in the Bible that God works 
in community. Yeah. We're going to, when we get into these later lessons, you all are going to see how important how we treat one another is to God. Hmm. Exodus yeah. is another book, and people don't often think about that. We think about the law of Ten Commandments, those kind of things, but what we're really dealing with yeah. is God saying, hey, if you're going to be close to me, mm. let me see it in how you treat each other. Yeah. That's, that's going to, that's, that's, Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. Uh, so, again, Exodus has it all. It has miracles. It has um, uh, um, scandal. And it's a tragedy. whole movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Um, and and I want you to get out of your mind the Cecil B. DeMille, the old Ten Commandments movie. Get that out your mind. Oh. <laughs> I want you to get out your mind the Prince of Egypt. Mm. Get that out of your mind as well. Um, because what we're going to deal with are the actual factuals of mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. uh, according to this book to we, so we can see God's will for our lives. Yeah. And that's a good time to remind people that this is an actual historical account mm-hmm. of historical events that happened. And so we're, we're looking at around 1455 to 1405 B.C., mm-hmm. and around that time there are things happening in and around Egypt that make sense yep. for the text that we're about to get into, and we'll talk about that because there's some Semitic culture that's going on around there mm-hmm. that's helpful to understanding why Joseph himself is being empowered here in the text. So yeah. just want to remind folks that this actually happened. Yeah, This is an actual event, and this is an actual people group who were enslaved in the Exodus. And it's amazing because there are so many historical and archaeological evidences for it. Yeah. Um, among them, there is a big monument. They have it in the in the... Museum in Cairo. Mm. There's a large monument carved, dated, clearly from this time period, mm. where Pharaoh says, well, "I've seen it with my own eyes." Some of some of you traveled with us when we went to Egypt. Seen it with our own eyes. That says Pharaoh thought he claims mm. to have destroyed Israel because yeah. he saw them go in the sea, but he did not see them come out. Yep. It's there. It's a, it's a, they carved it. This is not, Israel didn't <laughs> carve that joint. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The Egyptians carved it. Yeah. Uh, it's in the museum in Cairo, and there's a replica of it in the Bible Museum in D.C. So, but there are so many evidences that we have. And then there are some, when we look at, the, that, at some of the historical questions and concerns around this, the, there are some translation things that help us to grasp, mm. per, for instance, the number of people, those kinds of things that are, that when we translate the text properly, mm-hmm. we see it makes a lot more sense than people want to give it credit for. Mm-hmm. But again, as with all things scriptural and spiritual, the miraculous nature of what is described leads people to question and then they question the history based on the miracles rather than affirm that the miracles probably happened because of the history being mm-hmm. so accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we both uh, products of historically black churches, historically black college. Um, our people are uh, predominantly African-American. And I would venture to say if there's any people group throughout history with whom this book resonates the most, it has to be those who are from the Afri- African diaspora who've come over. Mm-hmm. Um, to the United States or were forcibly brought over yes, yes. to the United States. So we chose this uh, because we feel like it will help our people, but also 
we'll continue to see, as our ancestors did continue to see ourselves yes in this because the exodus account man when you read it it's like whoa that's that's what we went through yeah <laughs> yeah i mean all the way to i mean the parallel of the number of years in slavery yeah. for um israel in egypt and the number of years in slavery for um African descendants of slave in slaves in America, the enslaved in America. I, I, I really want to be clear mm. that there is a spiritual yeah. reality. Jesus is our lawgiver. Mm. <laughs> he is our law keeper. He is our uh, 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 Moses who delivers us. He is uh, he is our um, uh, our Passover lamb. He Jesus, and all of that spiritually. But Exodus also speaks to the social ills mm. that we face every single day as uh, people who are on the margins of society. And I want to be very clear about that, that we won't apologize for seeing a God who also handles social ills mm. as well. This is, this is why at first they didn't want enslaved people to come to faith in Christ. They, they, they tried to keep... Mm black folks away from Jesus, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing that many already had him. <laughs> then, oh, well, you could have Jesus, but we're not going to give you the whole Bible. They, <coughs> they gave a slave Bible with most of the Bible taken out, and the entire book of Exodus was gone. They, gone. Did, not want, <laughs> they did not want you to be thinking that slaves are supposed to be free, and mm. that is what Exodus is clearly uh, about, whether spiritually or socially, God sets people free yeah and yeah. what they took out yeah we want to dive <laughs> that's into. what we're gonna get into yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, what we want to sure. get into for sure so let's talk a little bit about uh, literary context because we find in genesis which is the book prior to exodus that god genesis focuses on divine promises to abraham and his lineage but exodus really sets in motion this fulfillment mm -hmm. of those promises that god speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, that he has a promise to him for uh, his generations after him that they're going to be blessed. And that that speak, speech from God to Abraham echoes mm -hmm. throughout Exodus to say, this is the seed that I talked about in Genesis 3.15 that I'm protecting. Mm -hmm. These are the people that I'm protecting despite their oppression. Yeah. yeah. And, and strangely... Uh, you, you see the promise given to Abraham in 12 and 15, then affirmed to Isaac and affirmed again to Jacob. Uh, so you see the consistent affirmation of God's promise in Genesis and they believe it. We know they believe it because of how they act in, in, in Genesis 22. Um, Abraham is willing to kill Isaac because he believes God is just going to, according to Hebrews, mm -hmm. he's just going to raise him up from the dead because mm -hmm. God is going to keep the promise. You see it um, when Jacob dies, he tells his descendants, he says, when God gets you all out of Egypt, carry my bones yeah. with you. Joseph is going to say the same thing in the early part of, um, of uh, or the end of Genesis and the early part of Exodus as well. And mm -hmm. we're going to see them do that because they believed the promise mm -hmm. of God. The strange thing is promise, 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 <laughs> promise. But what Exodus shows us is process, 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 process. Mm. Because, man, promises are great, but processes are hard. Mm. 
Mm, that's good. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and you're going to see that, that the enslavement of um, Israelites in Egypt does not take God by surprise. In fact, he tells Abraham it's yeah. going to happen. He told him that in Genesis 15, right? Yeah, he, <laughs> he says it outright. Hey, I'm going to take them to a land where they're strangers. They will be slaves. Your descendants will be slaves for 400 years. He, mm-hmm. he tells them outright. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and God predicts and redeems that negative experience in the life of those people for the sake of the, of, of their deliverance, mm. the testimony of who he is and how he operates, and so that we can understand that process is a part of promise. If there is no <laughs> process, right. and process is often painful, mm. and, and, uh, and, and Lord, why me? Well, because I, I got a promise, yeah. and the promise requires process. Yeah. So, so the question is, how do we get here? Mm-hmm. How do we get to Exodus 1 where the people are enslaved in Egypt? Well, we start with that prediction to Abraham that they are going to be enslaved in Egypt for foreign years. Mm-hmm. That's very clear. Yeah, <laughs> Abraham has that clear direction from God. But it that process, as you mentioned, involves a whole lot of other factors that are sovereign mm-hmm. But those sovereign factors really do look like that God has abandoned people in certain periods of their lives. Yeah. So when you're looking at Abraham's lineage, you have Isaac and you have Jacob. And then Jacob has these 12 sons. Uh, One of his sons is a young guy Mm -hmm. and he's a dreamer. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And his older brothers, that young guy being Joseph, his older brothers don't like the fact that he comes to them twice Mm -hmm. and tells them, essentially, you're going to be serving me. You're ultimately going to serve me. Yeah. And in this culture, Jewish culture, that's backwards. Right. Because the oldest son is generally the one who is going to inherit the father is blessing, right? Right. So he's saying, I'm the youngest, and God told me yeah. <laughs> that y'all were going to be serving me. Right, right. So so that's what we find. Joseph tells his brothers that, and what does his brothers do? Well, initially, they, they think they're go- we're going to kill him. Yeah. So they, they put him in a pit. Then one of the brothers decides that he's going to um, try to, to say to his brothers, well, let's not do that. Let's just sell him into slavery. Yep. And this is our first instance in scripture of human trafficking. Yep. They sell their brother, Joseph, into slavery. And as he's sold into slavery, he winds up in the house of one of the guardsmen of Pharaoh in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Secret service agent. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So he winds up in his house. And then as he's in his house, Joseph is like, okay, cool. And then the wife of the man, Potiphar's wife, mm-hmm. decides that she wants a piece of Joseph. And sexually. <laughs> sexually. And Joseph, being someone of a character and integrity, decides not to lay with her. But she turns around and tells a different story, yeah. which leads Joseph to be placed in jail. Uh, when he's in jail, he meet, meets these two men. Uh, Baker um, and these two men ask him to interpret one of their dreams he does so and he says hey when you leave remember me remember yeah (laughs) I helped you out so they left they didn't initially remember him but when Pharaoh has a dream then they say oh yeah we remember a guy in jail who was able to interpret dreams calls Joseph in he interprets Pharaoh's dream to tell him there's going to be a famine that comes in. I need you to prepare for it. Yeah. So he gives them strategic direction through a dream that God had given to Pharaoh. 
And then ultimately, Joseph becomes a leader yes. in this context. Yeah. Now, I, I want to mention one thing historically, because around this time, the Egyptian dynasty in place is called the Hyksos dynasty. Right. Which is Semite yep. in origin. Yep. Um, it's not the northern folks who are upset that the Semites have come and taken over. Right. But they're in control for 150 years. So when he sees Joseph, mm-hmm. it's kind of kinfolk. It's cousin. It's my cousin. <laughs> my, my cousin, cousin comes through, so I'm going to put him in power. So. Yeah. This isn't a pharaoh in the general sense in the Egyptian mm-hmm. culture. It's someone from the Semitic Middle Eastern area, and the Egyptians are still mad. They want they land back. Yeah, and we'll see that happen in a minute. But just to provide some of that context yeah. of why Joseph yeah and is the, in power and that, now. That Hiskos dynasty. Some some have suggested that oh that's who was there and it wasn't really slavery. They just mm-hmm. when they lost power they left. That's what the Exodus was. It it wasn't. Um, there's there's too much evidence of. You, you're not building the monuments of Egypt without slave labor, <laughs> so right. that's that's how it was built. So clearly, there was there was slave labor in Egypt. So um, that, that that and again, you can go to museums and see mm-hmm. the artifacts of the Hiskos dynasty, uh, Hiskos uh, people. Uh, and when we say they're Semitic, remember Noah has three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, Shem is the father of the Semites. So. Uh, those persons of the of Middle Eastern origin that we would call them. Ham is the father of those of, of African origin that we would call that, that modern um, category we place people in. So mm. uh, what, what you're seeing then is a brief period in Egyptian history where Semites are in power. And again, it's a sovereign move mm. to put Joseph in place. Joseph gets in place, he saves the people and and Egypt is actually enriched because they begin to sell grain while there's a famine mm. uh, in that immediate area and those surrounding areas, uh, and and Joseph becomes a, a man of power. But when you walk into Exodus now, mm. Joseph has died, the Hiscosts are no longer in power, mm-hmm. and now we have mm-hmm. Egyptian Egyptian, so so to speak, in power. Uh, back in power, and that's when we start to see this oppressive regime mm. uh, that rises and mm. now we got 400 years of slavery happening. Yeah, that's good. And and one of the things we need to mention is that they settle in the east of the Nile Valley in an area called Goshen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they spend over 400 years kind of experiencing this growth and prosperity. So what we've seen here is this storied history of conflict, grief, trials, famine, triumph, and reconciliation. So when you talk about that process, there's a whole lot of emotions that are involved in that. And I like what Norman Geisler says. He says that Genesis ends with the chosen nation in bondage, but Exodus begins with the description of that bondage. And that's what we're going to talk about here um, in just a moment. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the first seven verses. I, I really want to look at those here in the text before we hit that hinge text mm-hmm. because it's going to help us provide some some context here. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben and Simeon, Le- Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Mm -hmm. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers 
and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Mm -hmm. He said to his people, look, the Israelites, Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. So, first seven verses here, we see that they are 70 people yep. when they come into the land. And it says that Joseph was already there. So they got a small family, small family reunion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but something happened. Yeah, there was yeah. a population boom yeah. over yeah, the, several years. I, I, I see it this way. Uh, the ancient um, Egyptians called their land Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Mm. It means dark land. But it wasn't referring to dark people. Everybody was dark around there. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> um, it, it referred to the richness of the soil. Hmm. And so what you see in Exodus is essentially God planting 70 hmm. in the rich soil of Egypt. That's good. And then there's a flourishing. And hmm. this flourishing numerically is, again, we're starting to see the fulfillment to Abraham hmm. in this flourishing of the population of the people in, in Israel, these Israelites. So, again, hmm. Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. Same person. Um, the name was changed after a wrestling match with God. So mm. when we talk about Israel, we're talking about Jacob's descendants. Um, Seventy go in. They get there. At first, it's all good. Everybody's good. They, they get a little plot of land yeah. over yonder, and they just minding the business. Mm -hmm. um, but two things, Pastor John. One, um, they were to be there. They were supposed to be there temporarily. Yeah. But they got comfortable mm -hmm. yep. on that east side of the Nile. It was it was nice. They were doing well. <laughs> it's it's easy to get comfortable in places where you're doing well. Mm. Um, mm. The second issue is we have some disconnect. It's going to seem from their faith. Yeah, yeah. Because this is why. Moses is going to ask God, well, who am I going to say sent me? And then when he talks to Israel, he's got to kind of remind them. This is why God has to prove God's self over and over again right. throughout the book of Exodus because they don't really know him like that. Mm. So there seems to be mm. a disconnect in terms of their knowledge of God. And so God begins to self-reveal God's self in Exodus for the sake of their, mm. for the sake of knowing God, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but, yeah, so, so we, we're starting to see this process. They're doing well. Everybody's good. It's all gravy. And then here comes a pharaoh, a king, who don't know Joseph. Mm. He's not related, mm. not invested. He doesn't remember probably the famine and, and what happened. Mm. You know, they weren't known for, for going back in archives and history and, <laughs> and concerning themselves with such matters. They were, you know, pharaohs considered themselves gods. Mm. And so he said, I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like how they, I don't, you know, if, if, if we were going to be these people, we could talk about, you know, you know, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if we were those people. If we were those folks. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing that, that I think is really important is that uh, power and, and cozying up to power is really fickle. Mm -hmm. That when you see Joseph initially <sighs> empowered yeah. by Pharaoh, what you see is his waning influence. Mm-hmm happening around the end of Genesis 50. So we already have seeds that mm -hmm. these uh, Egypt, these people from Israel are going to start to be oppressed because 
initially when he bought his dad to the land, they had a whole funeral. Yeah. The funeral was yeah. all types of crazy. It was a, it was a, it was a, a like a lying in state kind of thing. It was, it was you know, it yeah. was in the rotunda of the Capitol, as yeah. it were. It would be the equivalent to that kind of thing. Mm. And then next thing we know. And look at what happened with Joseph. Yeah, Joe, Joe don't get the same treatment. <laughs> Chapter 50, <laughs> verse 26. The pri- he was the prime minister. Yeah. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in the coffin in Egypt. That was it. <laughs> That's it, Doc. If you read the beginning of the chapter, all the elders from Egypt showed up to his daddy's funeral. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even the person that they knew. Right. Because they knew Joseph. He yep. was living there. Joseph was the government official. Yep. He was the he was the prime minister or the or the uh, secretary of treasury, whatever whatever all those duties were. He was that. And we're going to show up because Joseph, mm-hmm. we know Joseph and we know who he is and his daddy died. So we're going to show up for him. Yep. But as his power begins to wane, mm-hmm. we see here at the end of chapter 50, he gets a coffin. He gets a coffin. He gets he gets he gets he gets a few he gets a <laughs> he gets to be embalmed and he gets a coffin. So here's the thing. That's it. Pastor John, this is what's this is what's nuts. This was nuts, especially for people in power. Mm especially in matters of like human government or influence and those kinds of things. You are as close as you are necessary. Mm, That's good. And this is why we can never determine our spiritual success or even personal success Mm. by the access we have to people in power at a certain season of life. That's good. Because of a couple of things, their need for you can change Mm. or the person in that seat of power can change. Mm. And both of those happened at the end of Genesis 50 and the beginning of Exodus 1. Yeah. They didn't they need Joseph like that anymore. So we see, we see another example of that with Daniel. Mm. As Daniel Daniel was super tight with, with mm. Nebuchadnezzar initially, and, mm-hmm. and then he goes and is in some forgotten corner of the kingdom until there's a handwriting on the wall. He's an old man when he gets called back into government service. But their need for him changed, mm. and, a, and a, a new person comes to power who's not familiar and then then you're now on in the corner of the kingdom where before you sat in the in the most primary seat hmm. popularity is fickle it really is i yeah. mean we see it every day on social media we see every day people that are celebrated on their rise and they get to a point and a pinnacle and then boom mm-hmm. It's easy to pile on the person that everyone sees and knows, mm. and that is uh, that that is that is the the lesson of cozying to power. Is it's always better to be a prophet to power than popular with those in power. That's good, and that's what the church is called to be. We're called to speak truth to power, to to hold these systems and 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 persons who are. Um, uh, um, in power over them to hold them accountable with the truth of God's word, with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of what is of, of human and, and asserts people's humanity mm. uh, as God intends, having been made in the image of God. It is, we, we cannot be concerned with being invited mm. <laughs> to tables that we can be uninvited from. Mm. You can lose that blue check as soon as, oh, as man, quickly as you got it. Oh yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see here in the life of Joseph, who was this big state official. And just at the end, it just says he died. Yeah. Now they got his bones. They got his bones. And then the next thing we know, 
not nobody close to him, nobody connected to him is connected to anyone in power. Mm-hmm. And that makes them easy targets for oppression. Yeah. But what we see in the first seven verses is that the people really do flourish as mm-hmm. God promised Abraham. But what this led to was greater persecution. Yes. Because when I see you flourishing mm-hmm. as the new Pharaoh, we saw in verse eight, it says that there was a Pharaoh who rose who did not know Joseph. Yeah. So now they're back in power and they're seeing these peoples mm-hmm. being empowered. Yeah. And in addition to that, they know that they come from a dynasty mm-hmm. or have been from a dynasty that overtook that original Egyptian dynasty. Yeah. So once you start getting a little something over there, yeah, they look y'all look y'all look like a threat. You are a threat. Yeah. And I, and I'm coming for you. Yeah. And here is the historical reality for us as believers, especially African Americans, <clears throat> is that throughout the history of this country, whenever there has been black progress, there's always been white backlash. Yeah, generally a violent white response. Yeah, and and yeah. and I I want to be very clear that we're not talking about opinion. This is when if you when you look at slavery's end mm-hmm. and the beginning of of Reconstruction, you begin to see violent white responses where lynchings yeah. began. Yeah, this is where um, Jim Crow laws were born out of this is uh we can go through history mm. and see um many people now are beginning to be more informed about the Tulsa mm. race massacre but 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 in Little Rock uh 630 which yeah. de- destroyed black prosperity on 9th street mm. um that kind of thing violent white response and sometimes it is violence against persons physically sometimes it is financial violence sometimes it's Mm. educational economic violence um the so-called war on drugs that disproportionately locked up black men Mm. uh to create a new slave class Mm. um that that is still being um uh, uh still has ramifications even right now as we sit and and work through this lesson the response has always been mm. something uh, violent mm. and 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 aggressive to to take away, mm. you know, uh, that progress. And that is it's a result of people perceiving your prosperity be prosperity prosperity to be a threat to my power. Mm. And that's that has been as it was in Exodus. It has been the history of our nation, and it is it is one of the tragic realities of the nation that we live in it is a history that we cannot gloss over mm. and pretend does not exist no matter how uncomfortable it makes some people it is the reality of the nation that we live in um but what exodus teaches us is that god is aware mm. <laughs> and i don't want to get ahead of our into another lesson mm. but it teaches us that god is aware and that god is active when god does not feel active in these matters. You know, you have to be really depraved and power hungry to actually rent airplanes to drop bombs on a community of people, as we saw what happened in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, once that Tulsa massacre, some people call it a riot, but it was a massacre mm-hmm. of black people, black people who were prominent in the community, doctors, lawyers, 
um, business owners. Yeah. Uh, Black Wall Street was really the model for black prosperity and had over 100 or so senators, uh, U.S. representatives. Once we were enfranchised, uh, we decided to step up and run for office mm-hmm. and vote uh, despite some of that backlash. Yeah. And today it's still prevalent, but it may be more subtle. So even though folks were hanging on, aren't hanging on trees today. Not as often. As often. Yeah. They want to be able to dictate what goes on paper mm-hmm. that those trees were made from yeah. when we talk about CRT and talk mm-hmm. about what goes on in our classroom mm-hmm. by telling an accurate rendering of history. Yeah. Uh, now we have legislatures stepping up and saying, hey, we don't want you all to talk about any of this mm-hmm. by erasing some of that. Um, they want to make sure that they have this whitewashed version of what U.S. Yeah. history looks like. Yeah, and it, it and again, that's another act of violence. And mm. I want to be clear about that. Mm. The the erasure of black experience, the erasure of any person's traumatic experience for any group or any person that has been, um, we see it with one of the most prominent religious conventions in the U.S., prominent, powerful, prosperous convention, trying to hush abuse, abused women Hmm. uh, from telling their stories. And uh, at times there have been segments within Catholicism that did the same thing from uh, young men and women who were abused. So those kinds of things, any erasure is violence Hmm. um, because it is an attempt to avoid accountability uh, and the biblical process for managing those things. Sin can be forgiven but it must also be confronted. Yeah, uh, and so that that th- those kinds of things uh, are 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 acts of violence. The, it is it is the person in power feeling threatened mm-hmm. by the progress of the person uh, who is on the margins. And Israel was just over on the east side, not bothering <laughs> nobody. Yeah, they just having babies. That's that, all they that's did. It. They were having babies and planting crops. That's it. That's um, it. That's all they were doing. Mm. Uh, that's what Black Wall Street was. They were just they were just starting business. We'll we'll, we'll be our own doctors and we'll mm. be our own lawyers. Those kinds of things. Uh, and they said, "No, we can't take that. We can't have y'all because it's going to be a threat to us." Yeah, that's true. So so let's talk a little bit about um, this corrupt government here and talk about what happens when this new king arises in Egypt. Uh, verse eight: New king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, "Look." The Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they would join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters mm-hmm. over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. So the Israelites here were free one day and condemned to slavery the next. Mm-hmm. Free one day, yeah, and then the next day they wake up and are condemned yeah. to slavery uh, by this new king who did not know, uh, did not know Joseph. Yeah, it, it, it is a, it is a, here's what we can't avoid. We can't avoid the reality. Listen to what he says. Mm-hmm. Let's deal shrewdly. Yep. Let's make a plan. 
There's always a plan. And, and assign taskmasters. He puts a system of oppression in place, Pastor John. Mm. This is systemic <laughs> oppression. I mm. know that's a cuss word for some of you, perhaps, mm -hmm. but it's systemic. This is a planned governmental policy mm. to oppress a certain segment of the population of Egypt at that time mm. because they feel threatened by that mm. that subpopulation. Mm. It's just that simple. And that, that again, is prevalent in all kinds of spaces and places mm. um, in in our world that continues to happen uh, in places and spaces of, in our world. A, mm. a system is set up to oppress a certain part of the population, a subgroup of the population, mm. for the sake of the prosperity of another. Yeah. So whereas one day previous to this, they were cozied up to power mm -hmm. in Joseph's role, now they are outsiders and outside the seat of power. So how is it now they should relate to this power force? And then the question for us as believers, as we talk about power, we talk about political power, we talk about social capital, how is it that we as believers now relate or approach our relationship with power yeah. uh, in society and culture? Yeah, so that, that's, the, that's the issue. It is remembering our role mm. civically and socially. We have a spiritual role that governs our yeah. social and civic engagement. Yeah. Jesus is clear. We're salt and light. Mm. We're salt and light. Mm. Uh, and to that end, for those of us who are in the U.S., that means that my spiritual role governs my civic engagement so that I see how do I bring illumination, light, the light of God, God's truth, to the context of, of our social mm. realities. Um, and until that happens, I am to keep mm. shining. So, mm. you know, you talk about we're approaching an election yeah. at the time of, of, our, of this uh, study. We're approaching an election. It's a midterm year, so not a presidential election. Generally, turnout is lower. Uh, people are less interested, less engaged because the big office of the presidency is not up. But so many... Uh, in our uh, uh, state, we're electing governors, mm. we're electing mm. reps, we're electing um, on the local level a mayor in Little Rock and, and those kinds of things. The question is, how do I engage? I'm to be informed, mm. I'm to be engaged, and I am to bring my Christian conscience yeah. to the polls when I stand in there and push those buttons or fill out those mm. those forms and 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 shade those circles those kind whatever way I'm <laughs> voting uh, that is that is I have to bring my Christian conscience now um, you know we'll say this later on but Jesus is not Democrat and he's not Republican mm -hmm. no. he's not libertarian or Green Party he's not uh, what is the other one that's starting now forward part he's none of those <laughs> things <laughs> he's not he's not narrating things mm-hmm uh, and so we're not beholden to a political, and I'm not saying that political affiliation with a party is ungodly. That's not what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. I'm saying that there are people in our world who are beholden mm. to their political party in such and, and as such that they only and always vote for those persons who run on that side of the world yeah. 
even when that person is clearly mm. <laughs> ungodly yeah. or will not represent God's truth and principles mm. um, when they hold that office. And I think much of the of the controversy and 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 vitriol we see in our country today is because of the polarization of parties and Christians are not to be a part of that polarization. Yeah. I think the fact of the matter is, as you mentioned, neither political party has the Christian's best interest at heart. Not in the, not in totality. Jesus is not coming back on a donkey or elephant. No. I didn't read that nowhere in scripture. It ain't there. So for us to believe and think like Christians, and my friends at the end campaign say this a lot, they say, we're called not to think like a Democrat or Republican, but think like a Christian. What does scripture, how does scripture come to bear on this issue? Because honestly, there are things on either side that are, that are biblical in terms of the practice, but what do we do as believers to make sure we come up with that third way, which I think Jesus would be a third way voter. He yeah. wouldn't think through this t- two-party system that yeah. we have, but his ballot may not look like a straight line. It may look like a tic tac toe box. Yeah, and yeah, and depending on the on the on the person mm. and the subject matter being discussed and decided, um, mm. you know, we, we we you know we have to walk the line, Pastor John. We we can't tell people who to vote for, mm-hmm. um, and what they are to vote, yay and nay on in in those ballot initiatives and things of that nature. Um, you can ask me privately, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly who you're supposed to vote for, but I ain't gonna tell you now. Um, but but there are, if we are informed and engaged, there are clear cut, mm. obvious yeah. issues and people who we should not be supporting. Mm. Mm. If if we're just if we're just gonna be frank about it, there are clear cut issues and people we just should not be supporting. Um, now, here's the thing. I can vote for you if we have a disagreement about an issue, and I can hold you accountable mm. about that issue. That's it. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that we have to have the, there will be no perfect candidate. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus ain't running for office. His office is secure. King of kings and Lord of lords. There are no elections in heaven. Uh, thank you, Lord. So, because some of y'all would try to run against him, and that would just. <laughs> Not run against so, him. Yeah, yeah. Some, some, some of y'all would try to run against Jesus. Oh, I could beat Jesus. I'm going to write in ballot. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to put my hat in for king of kings. <laughs> put my hat in the ring. Um, but. But there are some issues and some people who we are clearly we should not support in any way at all because they do not represent mm-hmm. um, the kingdom and will not represent the kingdom no matter what their claims are. And I, you know, I, y- y'all read between lines and y'all hear what I'm saying. Y'all know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that we have to realize when it comes to our relationship with those in power is that the kingdom really isn't about straining for power, Mm-mm. but actually about giving it away. Yeah. And Jesus addresses this in Mark 10 in a very real way as the disciples themselves are straining for power. Mm-hmm. They want to know, can I sit at your right hand? And, and, and they all have this power-hungry model of hierarchical, who's going to be close to Jesus going on. Mm-hmm. And then 
he tells them in Mark chapter 10, he says, uh, verse 42, Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions. Right. Act as tyrants over them, but it's, it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom yeah. for many. Yeah. Jesus gives his political agenda. That's it. In this text. Yeah. He says, don't strain for power. As a matter of fact, my idea of power is giving away yeah. and serving you and becoming a slave to you. And so so for us as believers, we need not be a people who, as he said, the Gentiles lord, lorded over them and strain for power. Mm-hmm. But we're a people who are called to serve and give power away. Yes. And, and, and to that end, our ideal candidates, and again, no perfect mm-hmm. candidates because they're no perfect people, but what, what we should be looking for and, and hoping for and holding them accountable to is a servant's mentality. Mm-hmm. The seat is significant. Um, the, the, the position is one of authority and power. But what is your heart like? I'm not more. I'm more concerned about what's in your heart than where you put your behind, not where you sit, mm-hmm. but what sits in you. Mm-hmm. What you end up with when you have people who are power hungry or people who because I, I, I believe we've all seen and, and can relate to having experienced and it happens in political world. It happens in church world. It happens in your fraternity, your sorority, maybe whatever you're involved in. People who were sweet servants before they get the chair, who get in the chair and lose their minds. What happened to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? You wouldn't like this before we gave you a gavel. All of a mm-hmm. sudden now, mm-hmm. uh, you, you get beside yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, but, and again, that's where the accountability comes in, to remind people that this is, if you're seeking the seat, you should be seeking to serve. Mm-hmm. If you're sitting in the seat, you should be seeking to serve. Mm-hmm. And what you have in Exodus is a Pharaoh who is not seeking to serve, hmm. but seeking to be served. And as such, oppression, corruption hmm. becomes the order of the day and becomes the policy hmm. of this government. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're looking for someone in in terms of voting, look for someone who is committed to and who has an agenda that serves the people mm-hmm. and not necessarily serving a party or yeah. some type of platform. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about and I just want to remind everybody as well that that God often uh, can turn the vilest leaders yes. heart. Yeah, uh, that's what Proverbs 21 tells us. It says that the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord and he can turn it yes. as streams of water any way that he likes. So even God is sovereign over the worst leader in the, on the planet that yeah. you can think of as I'm thinking about the Russian and Ukraine issues that God it's still sovereign over that matter Mm -hmm. and that God is absolutely in control there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about how a Christian can approach uh, unethical government issued orders. Uh, We see this in this particular text in verse 15 through 22. We see the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shephira and second, whose name is Pua. When you help the Hebrew women, Give birth, observe them, 
as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women were not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous <laughs> and give birth before the midwife can get to them. <laughs> so God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all the people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. <laughs> These vigorous women. Vigorous. <laughs> That's such a, that is, for, it, it's, it, I love the shade. I love the, not like, we, we not like y'all. Right. Y'all weak. <laughs> y'all, y'all need. That's how we give birth. Yeah, we just, we just bop, and we keep on rolling. We vigorous like that. We just. I love it. I love it. I love the shade. What we have here, though, is a government-issued order. This is legal. Legal. In this particular context and this community, the Pharaoh has issued this decree, Mm -hmm. and it's these Hebrew midwives who decide they're not going to adhere to what is legal Mm -hmm. and actually do what is illegal. Yes, Yes. So, so how is it as we believers think through unethical government issued orders, how do we approach those in a way that is both faithful to the text and also faithful to a God who calls us maybe to a higher standard? Yeah, I, you know, they are, it, 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 it's another example of what you see in Daniel chapter one, we'd rather obey, obey God. Mm. Um, uh, same thing the disciples say in Acts chapter 4 when they're told not to speak in Jesus' name. We'd rather obey God. When it comes down to obeying God or government, Hmm. we are to always obey God. It's just that simple. If it's God or government, if it's God's law or government's law, we are to obey God. Hmm. Righteous resistance. This is is why um, our the four parents who ran away in slavery mm. were being righteous. Mm. Those who rebelled in slavery were being righteous. Those who fought for liberation, even with arms, yeah. that is righteous resistance because we're obey, that, that's to obey God's laws. Mm. Um, and everything that's legal isn't just Hmm. everything that's you know justice isn't just (laughs) you know what i mean uh we have a righteous standard as explained in scripture and we are responsible because ultimately we will be judged Hmm. uh by the great judge Hmm. uh not by the judges that sit in lower seats uh in human government so Hmm. uh we we are to we are to we are to obey government insofar as we can obey government and god at the same time Hmm. Hmm. So what we have here is a legal decree for uh, not just poor health care, mm-hmm. but just actually killing mm-hmm. Hebrew children. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we think about this contemporary in the contemporary sense and you know, think about uh, health care and the black woman, 
and how doctors in some instances want to do the bare minimum yeah. that's legal yeah but may not be ethical i think it's also our responsibility as a community to be able to hold them to a higher standard when it comes to women of color yeah uh, and and you know we are woefully underqualified to mm. speak on this matter yeah. other than as in position of, of allies loving black women ha- having mamas and wives and yeah. daughters yeah. um and and sisters and 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 all of that but black women have testified over and over again that they're just not believed mm. um, by their doctors when they speak of issues they believe something is wrong especially during pregnancy something is wrong something hurts uh, the suspicion is that there's a, a, a grab for pain pills and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and that's a whole nother thing because we, the the pain crisis isn't even that prominent yep. in black communities, communities in white yep. communities. Those kinds of things, um, and these midwives are examples to us. Mm, they are of standing up to. I mean, they sit in Pharaoh's face mm. and say, "Nah, we ain't doing it." <laughs> right. They are, they are, they are, they are active advocates, and they are helping these Hebrew mm-hmm. women to yeah. have the highest quality of care and to be able to perpetuate their family. And the Bible says, mm-hmm. God bless them mm-hmm. with families yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of this. So uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I like the the term they. Since, verse 21, since the midwives feared God yeah. and gave them families. Yeah. And in the same way, self-preservation is no preservation. Mm. Mm. I have to be willing to risk it all to gain it all. Yeah. And because of their willingness to put themselves at risk, God turns around and blesses them. And I think that call and opportunity is available for us in so many ways, mm. but specifically in examples like you just gave. Mm. Yeah. So I want to take just a moment and address this issue because it's certainly a part of our study in the book. And there are various opinions across the board on this particular issue. So we want to make sure we are sensitive to that. But I do think that there is some direction that we can give folks in terms of a winsome biblical approach to this idea of abortion. Mm -hmm. We all know that the Dobbs um, Supreme Court case came down this summer. Uh, that essentially sent the abortion issue back to states. Uh, there are a variety of opinions. Again, we're no experts in this field. We're not women. Um, yeah. And so we want to make sure that we're sensitive to that. But as pastors, as leaders, we also want to make sure we help you all um, work towards ways in which you can help mm-hmm. when we're dealing with this issue. So being here in, in the state of Arkansas, we do know that uh, law was triggered and passed around abortion, but there are other states and other places where people may be hurting. So how is it that we can help? Well, first, we can help by work towards uh, addressing the underlying issues. Mm-hmm. I think what we've done is we've elevated this issue of abortion to, well, is it a life? Is it not a life? Well, what's the underlying issue here mm-hmm. and how can we address it? That means working towards pregnancy crisis centers, That means working towards providing resources for women who may be considering this as the church. Yeah. If the church could step up and I I say this to people, if we could step up and make these places unnecessary Mm -hmm. to empty their lobbies because of the work we're doing, not eliminating Mm -hmm. the facilities, but Mm -hmm. to make sure that the lobbies are empty by taking on the burden 
that we're yeah. called to in, in, in scripture, I think that we go a long way if we work towards actually addressing just the underlying issue. Yeah, John, I want to go back on, on this issue um, because I want us to, to grasp the political origins of this concern yeah. were not necessarily spiritual ones. Mm. Now, I'm going to get in super-duper trouble, <laughs> but I ain't scared. You cannot find and you can't use Jeremiah 1 nope. as your source for saying God is anti-abortion. You, it's, you, you, Jeremiah 1 is not that. Um, now, if you're talking about life and God giving life, we can have the theological discussion around that. But what America was addressing was abortion not from a spiritual point of view, and those who, some people were brainwashed into thinking that was what was happening and what Supreme Court was doing. Mm. It had nothing to do with the spiritual part. Mm. Abortion as a political platform and, and, and those kinds of things is racial. Mm. Yeah. It was a dog whistle for racist policies. Um, just period. It was a rallying cry to people who wanted to maintain power, much like yeah. Exodus one, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So that's what that's what we're talk that's what the US issue is, mm-hmm. not a spiritual one. Because if it was a spiritual issue, then we do we handle that spiritual ways. Yeah. Like they want to do with racism. Or well, that we preach the gospel to spiritual issues. Mm-hmm. We pray about spiritual issues those kinds of things um that is that that is that's that's where we have to start the conversation what is the church's response the church's response is to believe and support i believe the people this affects yeah yeah so my response is to not be an expert in a matter i can't speak. I, John, you and I are never nope. going to have to be faced with that. Nope. And the and the myriad and and and, and multitude of reasons uh, that that is even considered are what we are to serve and support mm-hmm. uh, women in those places to serve and support women who for whom this is a decision yeah. to even make. Yeah. Mm. To serve and support. Um, I think one of the greatest, and, and, and I, you know, I have friends and I, I, people I love dearly who said, well, we're celebrating that decision. People I love, and I mm-hmm. just, and they were publicly saying, and I was just saying, I don't know how much more tone deaf you can be mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to, to think this is a time for celebration. Um, it's time for significant concern because it, even if your outcome was right, you have marginalized, you have, you have shown a lack of interest, concern, and care for people for whom this affects, even if you're right on the issue. Wow. And you would rather be right than righteous, and that's a problem. Mm. The, the most significant thing is to create a context in which people feel safe, loved, cared for. Here's Jesus. 
they bring a woman to him caught in the act of adultery. John 8. She did it. She's guilty. They are right, but they're not righteous. The law says stoner. The law says she went from this state to another state. We should put her in jail. The law says they went to a back alley, back room doctor. The law says the doctor's not supposed to be stoned. That's John 8. That's what you all look like mm-hmm. when you create laws to punish people for things like that. You're not, you're not being Jesus-y. You're being Pharisaical. Yeah. yeah. Jesus's process is to cover and protect and then to have a private conversation about her personal morality. Yeah. When they all leave, he says, I'm talking about if you're, even if you're right on that issue, even if you're right on that issue, because this is what we, people want to argue about it from a pol- policy perspective and forget this is a pe- people issue. Mm. This is not a policy issue, it's a people issue. And there are real people involved. There are real people who have to make real decisions. Yeah. I think that's one of the issues that um, really hit me immediately after the decision. And I think it's important for us to be able to listen well and allow people to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Because um, right after the decision, a 14-year-old girl in Arizona who was raped by her uncle Mm -hmm. was headed to um, get an abortion, and she couldn't. Yeah. So now she's carrying Mm -hmm. a baby as a product of a rape from her own uncle, carrying the trauma with her. Yeah. And people around her are celebrating yeah. that decision. High-fiving, uh, throwing parties. But pop, you're not doing anything to help pop, her. Popping champagne bottles. Right. Ha, ha, ha. Now you got to have it. And, and if we believe, if we truly believe what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, and we call to bear one another's burdens then how is it that you're doing that bears her burdens Yeah, as this 14-year-old girl yeah. who is now reliving that trauma of that rape every day and every and, hour? And, and, and I mean these kind of, I, this, this kind of idea, Pastor John, if, if it was a concern for life, hmm. if you're pro-life, then you, and you say, no, she has to have the baby, well, then what are the support mechanisms in place for that She's a child still at 14 for her life, for her health, physical, mental, mm-hmm. for this baby's life and health. Then where's, are you locking up? Uncle, where is he? Is he under the jail already yet? Right. Have we dealt with that? Right. You're, while you're celebrating that, oh, she has to have. And I am very pro-adoption. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very pro-adoption. But this is not solved alone by adoption. Yeah. Adoption is not the is not the panacea for this issue in any way. No. 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 Uh the, the reality is the decision was made by unjust people mm. who got into their offices perhaps it can be argued in unjust ways. Mm. Mm. And as such, our response should not be to celebrate a policy, but to protect and cover and serve and minister to people. And the best way to do that 
is individual mm. and circumstantial. Who is this person in this moment? What do they need in this season of their life? Mm. Uh, that is, that's, that's what these midwives show us in this text. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly yeah. what they did. Individual and circumstantial. What do you need? How do I help you? How, what, what, what ways can we serve, including advocacy and mm. uh, being able to speak truth to power? Mm. Yeah. And, and church, we can't be punks about this. We can't yeah. be scared to speak up yeah. in this issue in that way. So we want to talk about misplaced zeal. Yeah. Yeah, let's get, let's get it in quick. We over time, but let's go. Let's do it real quick. Okay, so Moses is is born. Wait, 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 wait. Because <laughs> because that conversation leads to this one. Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah, yeah. Moses is born mm-hmm. as a result of these midwives and their their boldness, right? He's born and uh he actually winds up in Pharaoh's house because his mom and them put him in a basket mm-hmm. in the river and Pharaoh's daughter sees him. And she, he actually winds up in Pharaoh's house, and then his mom comes to be his nurse, yeah, yeah. ultimately, by God's sovereignty. In the sovereign plan of God, his sister is following him down the river. She sees Pharaoh's daughter mm-hmm. finding him. She calls him Moses because it means I drew him out of the water. It's also going to be a, 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 an allusion to his purpose, taking the people out, bringing them out of uh, Egypt through the water in mm-hmm. the same kind of way yep. uh, with the Red Sea. Um, and, and sister... Uh, uh, is there? Pharaoh's daughter says, "Hey, go find me a, a nurse." Just, a, just a nurse. Just and and <laughs> sister says, "Oh, I got a nurse for you, doc. <laughs> I got, I can give you a nurse." Yeah, I'm gonna bring his mama. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is where we see in verse 11, chapter two. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out on his, to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people, looking all around and seeing no one. He struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. So what we see here is that Moses had the passion, but not necessarily the right approach to delivering his people. And when you're talking about social issues and civic issues, we are right to be angry about mm. so many things. Mm. We are right. We are angry. God is angry. We are correct. Right. But where we direct that angry energy. That's right. Is the question. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so there are three things that we want to encourage you all to do when you have that zeal mm-hmm. uh, that will help you. Number one, you need to employ what is called confident humility. Confident humility. Uh, number two, we need you to combine grace and truth. Even if you write, yep. you got to have some grace. And then number three, we need you to choose the difficult path. Sometimes the easy path allows you to avoid issues, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to choose actually the difficult path. Yeah. So, so confident humility, Tim Elmore talks about this in his book, Eight Principles of Leadership. He says, when you see conflict or counterparts in culture, they can be th- one of three people. They can be a threat to you, they can be a thorn, or they can help you thrive. And the way you view that person 
um, is how you will approach that person and the issues that you may have with them. So that person who's a threat, who's a, is a person who's a threat to your power or position or prestige, the person who's a thorn, uh, is just seen as what Paul calls that thorn in the flesh, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But ultimately, what you need to see that person as is someone who can help you thrive. How can this person mm-hmm. make me better, yeah. even if we don't agree on this issue? Yeah. Even yeah. if we don't agree. Yeah, and, and, and it's we got to be very clear that when it comes to matters of injustice and, and, and matters of oppression, what, what Moses does is he, in an attempt to be liberational, he becomes incorrectly confrontational. Mm. Now listen, there need to be some confrontational conversations. There need to have, you need to be able to speak truth. Um, but, but as we move forward, that second thing is combine grace with truth. Mm-hmm. Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, my granddad would say it this way. Sometimes <laughs> you have to let people have your way. Mm. You know, let them have your way. There is a there is a there is a way to be honest, confrontational, to call people to accountability without attacking the person, mm. without making them feel that they are under attack. Yeah. Uh, and that that is that's a skill that we are to be developing as believers. It is to it is to uh, is to speak truth mm. without condemning the individual. Because hmm. we don't have right to condemn individuals, we can condemn processes and conclusions and policies and and, and systems, but individuals—that's up to God. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and we also have to realize the trait that's in us that may be passed down. Mm-hmm. He's a descendant of Levi, mm-hmm. and when Levi saw his sister get raped, yeah, man, he was about it, ready yeah. to go kill everybody. Yeah. So he saw this injustice. He decides to step up and handle it his way. And what we see here with Moses is he does the same thing. So he has this kind of generational idea of what justice looks like that God has to actually correct mm-hmm. in these Hebrew folks who are like, hey, yeah. who is you? Yeah, and, and we're going to see it actually through the life of Moses, Pastor mm-hmm. John. He never really fully gets this temper under control. That's right. Um, that's, he's going to break the commandments the first time he gets them. When God writes them with God's own finger, mm-hmm. Moses is going to break them because he's mad with the people. He's going to strike the rock twice because he's mad with the people. Mm. Um, and that's going to cause him to, you know, lose out on getting to the promised land until Jesus comes. Mm. So it's, you know, this is a issue that whew, sometimes these people that are threats and thorns in your mind really help you thrive. Not because y'all are going to come to a point of reconciliation, but because they are sanctifying in your life. Mm. And like sandpaper, they're rubbing off those rough places. And had he learned to control this temper, yeah. we'd have a different outcome yeah. In, yeah. In, in Moses' life. Mm. Yeah. The other thing that we would need to do to make sure we don't have mis- misplaced zeal is to make sure when we're having these conversations is to Combine truth and grace. Mm-hmm. That's what John one fourteen says. It says that Jesus himself uh, took on flesh, dwelt among us, but he was full of truth and grace. Yeah. Like in order to be successful in these types of conversations, because they're tough. Yeah. They're tough conversations. You can't just give people truth no. without grace, seasoning it with grace. Yeah. Because it will be received better and received well. 
Um, sometimes you want to make it seem like it's their idea. Yeah. <laughs> and walk and have yeah. them walking away with like, how did you just convince me of that? That's, that's, that's granddad, Doc. He was the king of inception. He was going, let them have your way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So combine truth and grace. And then finally, uh, choose the difficult path. What we see in the life of Moses is ultimately he chooses because he's in the seat of power. Mm-hmm. He's in Pharaoh's house. But he chooses to be mistreated with God's people mm-hmm. over living in Pharaoh's house. I can be comfortable. Yeah, I can be in my middle class neighborhood and be good. Mm-hmm. But when I see my people oppressed, yeah, that's when I need to take action. Yeah, and that's what we need to do as believers. It could be easy for us to sit around, yeah, and not do anything about the oppression going on around us. This is why I love the work that we do here at St. Mark through our restoration project, because we are entrenched in Midtown here in Little Rock. But the community around us has so many felt needs Mm -hmm. that we address on a daily basis every single day because we have that sense of what we need to choose the difficult path. We could come in here and have church on Sunday and leave and be okay, but we have intentionally chosen that difficult path so that we could help those who are around us who are being oppressed. Right. And, and, you know, I, we talk, we talk about Moses's um, crime here in, in terms of killing this Egyptian. Um, But what we don't talk about is what it, what it did to the people he ultimately is going to lead because it plants a seed in their mind initially of mistrust. Um, That's good. They, they, they see him, are you going to kill one of us too mm. <laughs> while he's trying to break up a fight among them? That, that difficult path includes, this is why the, the, the first two are so important, um, because when you're called to serve and, and you want to help those who are on the margins or in oppressed circumstances and communities, the, the difficult path, it's difficult enough just being in the, the, the mix with them, mm. but there is, you know, creating and building those bridges of trust among those you're trying to serve is important as well. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, that is, that's one of the critical keys, I think, Pastor John, to being effective in, in this way, that, that, that when I deal with a person who is an op, you know, <laughs> seeing them a certain way, but then there are people I'm called to help mm. uh, who have to be able to see me as an easy ally mm. uh, because there is some... There is some legitimate suspicion around about why are you trying to help me? Mm. Those mm. kinds of matters. And so, I, I, you know, Moses, f- for us, with his negative action, teaches us a positive example of, uh, of how to better serve the people we serve. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Growth Factor podcast. This has been the initial episode for our season number three, Deep Waters, Deliverance and Duty. And this time we talked about can't trust it, the corrupt government and the Christian. Well, want to make sure that we don't want to move you towards mistrust and not being active. Make sure you are actively involved in your civic duty to vote. But hopefully we gave you some tools in this episode to help you out. Do us a favor. Go over to our Facebook page. We are over a thousand folks in our Grow Factor community over on Facebook being shepherded by Pastor Crystal. Make sure you join that community as it continues to grow also make sure you follow the podcast on all major platforms and share it with other folks we think this season is going to be very helpful for folks 
especially this fall during election season. So we'll see you all next go around as we continue through our study of the book of Exodus and dive into deep waters. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.